Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello, I'm Dr. Petros Grivas. I'm a medical oncologist in Seattle. I'm a professor and the clinical director of the Cento Urinary Cancers Program at the University of Hudson and Fred Hudson Cancer Center. I'm very excited today to host two wonderful individuals who have made major contributions in the field of gender urinary cancers. Uh, we have Dr. Silpa Gupta, who's an associate professor and also the director of the Gentle Urinary Oncology Program at Cleveland Clinic and the co-chair of the Hoosier Cancer Research Network. Hello, Silpa. Hello, Petros. Thanks for the invitation. Really excited to be here. Thanks, Silpa. We're also very excited to have Dr. Vadim Koskin. Uh, Dr. Koskin is an assistant professor at the University of California, San Francisco, UCSF, and doing great work in the field. Hello, Vadim. Uh, hi, Petros and Shilpa. Very, uh, very nice to be here. My pleasure. Great to uh, see both of you. We had a wonderful ESMO meeting and a lot of data came up there, but uh, I would like to focus our discussion today how the antibody drug conjugates fit in the current paradigm of urothelial cancer treatment landscape. And maybe I will ask uh, Silpa first, and uh, with the data we have, let's start with uh, Enfortum of a dot in Silpa. If you can give us uh, your take in the current role of this antibody drug conjugate, for example, the FDA-approved indication uh, in the, in, based on the V201 and V301 trial to start us off. So antibody drug conjugates like enfortumavidotin have really uh, advanced the treatment paradigm for metastatic urothelial cancer patients. As you know, after platinum, you know, we were using immunotherapy for platinum refractory disease, but response rates were modest at about 20% or so. And then with your and Tom Powell's work, uh, Petros and the entire team for Javelin Bladder 100 maintenance, the Valumab is now the standard of care in frontline after platinum therapy for patients who don't progress. However, a lot of people still uh, progress or don't respond. And for them, the antibody drug conjugate has really uh, now the uh, changed the treatment uh, options. Uh, we saw that in Fortumavidontin improved overall survival compared to salvage uh, chemotherapy, investigator's choice chemotherapy in the EV201 phase three trial, EV301 uh, phase three trial, I'm sorry. and that is now the current standard, and uh, that is for enfortumavidontin, and then the other antibody drug conjugates, sasituzumab, govotecan. Again, uh, you've been uh, instrumental in that work with the Tropics uh, study. Uh, is also um, accelerated approval uh, by the FDA to be used after immunotherapy and chemotherapy. So. Currently, that is the, also an option for our patients who don't respond to enfortumavidotin or for whatever reason cannot get enfortumavidotin in the platinum and immunotherapy uh, uh, refractory treatment era. And as far as the frontline treatment goes, uh, it's not currently approved. However, we've seen remarkable data in the frontline setting from EV103 study. Uh, cohort K and the single arm uh, study that we just published in the JCO uh, and cohort K that was presented at Desmo. So um, that is currently under consideration by the FDA for cisplatinine eligible patients. 
Thank you, Silpa. Excellent overview. And this ties very nicely with the previous episode that Dr. Koskin uh, 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 did, and he uh, nicely described uh, how this data pan out. And Vadim, uh, how do you integrate and you optimize the use of adipot drug conjugates in your treatment paradigm in clinic? Silpa gave us a wonderful overview. How do you uh, practice that? Um, yeah, that, that, that that's a great question. And of course, a, a great overview by um, Shilpa of the infortimab and uh, sensituzumab data. Uh, we do know that both uh, both drugs, both antibody drug conjugates, are are active in uh, treatment refractory bladder cancer. Um, arguably, the data is a bit stronger for um, infortimab, and there's also more data for infortimab. Infortimab had a large phase two study in two different cohorts that we outlined in one of the prior episodes. Uh, there was also a phase three study in patients post uh, platinum and immune checkpoint inhibitors. That was, again, the EV301 um, uh, uh, that Shilpa mentioned uh, that uh, demonstrated benefit of infortimab relative to um, chemotherapy. Uh, so the, the data for infortimab is pretty well established. And usually in the treatment refractory settings, a post-platinum, post-immune checkpoint inhibitor, that is the drug we uh, well, I, I go to first, and I think um, um, uh, I think the practice of most other um, uh, physicians who see a lot of bladder cancer is pretty consistent with that as well. With sasituzumab, we have um, also pretty robust data from the trophy study that's uh, in patients uh, uh, post-platinum and immune checkpoint inhibitor. The response rates were arguably a little bit lower if you compare across trials to infortimab. It was you know almost 30%, around 27% relative to uh, really low 40s or so that we see with infortimab. But um, there are certainly patients patients who um, who respond and who do well with cistuzumab. And of course, the large uh, 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 phase three tropic study it will, will um, uh, read out in the near future as well. Um, so currently, I would say I go to infortimab first and then use sustuzumab subsequently. Um, however, there are certain patients for whom um, probably going to sustuzumab first would make more sense. And that really probably would be driven more by their comorbidities and uh, the respected uh, toxicities and side effects of the drugs. Um, as Just as an example, as infortimab um, does cause quite a bit of neuropathy, and this is a patient population where um, who potentially already are experiencing a lot of neuropathy, having been exposed to platinum previously. Um, I would say for patients with severe neuropathy, for instance, um, uh, when making that choice between, let's say, infortimab and sustituzumab, potentially going to sustituzumab would um, uh, make more sense. Uh, but overall, I would say it's it's just um, uh, just a tremendous advance over the past, really, just just the past two to three years that previously in a space where we did not have a standard of care, really the post, post-platinum, post-immunotherapy space um, for metastatic uh, urothelial patients. Now we have multiple antibody drug conjugates available um, and who really have robust activity. And it's just been uh, um, you know, phenomenal to, to see this, this, the, these advances happen. Thank you, Vadim. Great overview as well. Silpa, going back to you. So let's say we have a patient who goes through platinum-based chemotherapy. And by the way, for the audience, you had a wonderful poster for ASCO 2022 annual meeting. Try to define the population who are not fit for any platinum, cis and carbo unfit, 
patients, and I know you're working on the manuscript, but let's say a patient is fit for platinum. Most of our patients are cis or carbo. Uh, maybe half of them are fit for cisplatin, maybe another 40% fit for only for carbo ballpark. Let's say this patient get platinum-based chemo. Going on maintenance avelumab, uh, that, as you mentioned, is level one evidence. For the audience also, there is a wonderful trial that you're leading, the main CAV trial, randomizing patients to cabotinib avelumab versus avelumab, so something to keep in the radar in the maintenance trial uh, setting. Let's say this patient gets avelumab and has progression while being on avelumab maintenance, let's say 10 months later. What would be your, your next step there? And how would you sequence the two antibody drug conjugates that are FDA approved and how the comorbidities and the toxicity profile can help you um, optimize that sequence? Thank you, Petros, for highlighting our collaborative work on platinum ineligibility and also our main cap trial of uh, maintenance of alumab intensification, which you're also championing for us through the ECOGACRIN group. So for patients who get frontline platinums, and those are 90% or more in my practice, you know, very few patients are actually platinum ineligible, as you know. Those patients, if they do not progress on platinums, we enroll on the main CAP trial, which is randomizing patients to Evalumab versus Evalumab cabozandinib. And even if they get uh, just Evalumab as standard of care, and then they progress, then my go-to drug is Enfortumab vedontin, which is a very effective, and I would say uh, very um, rapidly works. You know, If it works, you'll see the response within the first couple of cycles. Sometimes uh, the challenge becomes, you know, if after platinum patients have residual grade two neuropathy, and uh, that's when I like to avoid enfortumavidontin because the neuropathy with that drug, as uh, Dr. Koshin, men Koshin mentioned, is very disabling. And we want to give patients uh, time to recover before we can start that agent. And if if a patient cannot go to go enfortumavidontin for reasons of peripheral neuropathy or poorly controlled diabetes, then I go to sacituzumab govotecan. And if patient's diabetes is better controlled and neuropathy is uh, improving, then I reserve enfortumab vedotin for later. And just to mention here that uh, if a patient has uh, a tumor that is enriched for FGFR alterations or mutations, then we also have targeted therapy under fitness. Fantastic uh, review, Silpa. Very quickly, maybe in the next few seconds, I will ask... Uh... Silpa first and then Vadim, if you have an FGFR3 mutation or fusion and you have the option of erdafitinib, would you do that first before enfortumab or sacituzumab or you will go to the ADCs first? Any comment on that, Silpa? Would it depend on toxicity profile? Yeah, so that's a great question, Petros. And I think because we do not have any data on the sequencing, you know, we need to learn more from trials and we need to do trials to address this question. But um, I would uh, go to either or, depending on what comorbidities patients have. There is really no right or wrong answer here. We want to be able to offer all the treatments to every patient in their journey and need to sequence it wisely. Thank you, Silpa Vadim. Uh, yeah, no, I, I broadly um, agree with Shilpa and her great answer. Um, there is uh, uh, for um, FGFR3 altered patients, um, I really see this as uh, basically additional opportunity to to treat there are now instead of these you know two um drugs available now there are three um so it's really just just a um a, you know plethora of uh, opportunities to you know hopefully have the patient respond to something um uh i would say yeah again there, there are multiple right right answers here because uh, we really we don't have uh, perspective data of how to 
um, appropriately sequence these patients. Um, we do have retrospective data suggesting that FGFR3 altered patients do respond to infortimab. Uh, there's even limited data suggesting that those previously treated with erdofitinib still have responses to infortimab. These are you know very small numbers, so I don't want to um, um, sort of put too much emphasis on that. But uh, but uh, aside from just saying that infortimab does work in FGFR3 altered patients, there is uh, limited data with sisituzumab. Um, uh, as well. Um, and so, uh, I mean, generally speaking, I would say uh, among the three drugs, I would be choosing probably between infortimab and ertafitinib first. Um, there are important differences between the drugs, uh, even besides their toxicity. So ertafitinib is, of course, an oral medication. Infortimab um, is an infusion. So, you know, a patient who lives far away doesn't want to come in for infusions or some patients who just don't want to come in for infusions. Like I, I've had patients like that. Um, I would lean towards ertafitinib first and then um, uh, have uh, infortimab as an option later. And then again, you know, sasituzumab so, so is, is additionally probably an option for these patients after I would say probably these first two, just because there's probably less data with, um, with sasituzumab. At least that's um, kind of how I would guide my practice in this situation. Thank you, Silpen Vadim. Great discussion. You know, it's great to have options for our patients. These agents did not exist four years ago, so it's great to have infortumavedotin, satsuduzumab, govitikan, erdafitinib, and of course, any new agent that is on clinical trials, uh, we're looking into it. So very exciting to see this evolving landscape, more options for our patients, and hopefully we translate this into improved outcomes for our patients. So I would like to thank both of you for all your contributions in the field, great work, and also for your time today. That was a great discussion. Thank you. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com CME. Thank you for listening.